Assalamu alaikum brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Big Muslim Family Podcast. I'm your host, Brother Mark Adam, and this is the podcast where we talk to Muslim brothers and sisters from around the world and get them to share with us their unique perspectives of growing up in their country. Also, we cover other inspirational Muslim stories such as reverts making their way back to Islam and migrants who left their home country seeking a better life. Thank you for joining us and don't forget to connect with us on our social channels. Assalamu alaikum brothers and sisters. Welcome to another episode of the Big Muslim Family Podcast. I'm your host, Brother Mark Adam, and I hope that wherever you are in the world, you are healthy and safe, inshallah. If you are new to the show, I would like to personally welcome you and thank you for being here. We hope that you enjoy the content. In this week's episode, I speak with Brother Arslan from Norway. Brother Arslan is a father of three kids and is the technical director at the Norwegian State Housing Bank and also an unapologetic Arsenal fan. And he also loves to eat biryani, but who doesn't? So if you've ever wondered what it's like to be a Muslim in Norway, this is the podcast to find out. Welcome to the show. Uh, we have a special guest here, and I've been looking for someone from the uh, Scandinavian countries, and I have uh, Brother Aslan here. Uh, welcome to the show, Brother. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you very much. Yes, wa alaikum assalam. Thank you so much for uh, taking your time out today to, to join us here and to tell us a bit more about Islam over your side of the world. It's something that for me, I don't really associate Muslims being in, in, uh, in Norway. So tell us, tell, tell us how did Islam come to that part of, into your country, Norway? First of all, thank you very much for inviting me. I'll, I'll be upfront. I don't talk English that much. <laughs> Our language here is, is Norwegian and my background is from Pakistan. Okay. So, so I'll come into it, but at some point I'll, I'll lose the words and then I'll ask you. Okay, um, no worries. I think the history is, is somewhat fragmented. I, I think they say that the Vikings met the Muslims in Turkey and brought with them some Muslims to Norway many years ago. Sure. Uh, but nobody knows if that's right or not. Um, I think the major Muslims uh, or the major uh, amount of Muslims that came to Norway came uh, in the early 70s, late 60s with uh, mostly immigrants from uh, Pakistan. Okay. And after a while, they came from countries like Turkey, Somalia. So the majority of Muslims in Norway are basically immigrants and descendant of, uh, descendants of immigrants. I see. People working professionally, yeah. And so are you, you'd say, second generation? Yeah. yeah. My dad, dad moved here in the early 70s. Mm. He basically came with the oil. Basically, most of the Muslims came here with the oil. So the okay. oil was found in, in the North Sea in, in, I think, the early 70s. And then they needed a lot of labor, like the Middle East in a way. I see, I see. So is, it, is the oil offshore or is it on land? or Offshore. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. So he's working on the oil rigs out there. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, I don't think the Muslims particularly work there, but I think because of the oil, uh, the wealth that, that, yeah. that it generated, they yeah. need a lot of workforce and the development happened very quickly in Norway. Oh, okay. So yeah. That's interesting. That's, I, I, 
Just now you're, you're talking about the Vikings going and bringing up some Ottomans. That's a very interesting. Is that is it a bit of a myth or is it? I have no idea. I've just read it that there was, I, I'm not sure if the interaction was here or out in the world, but there was interaction between Vikings and Muslims. That's what they've found out. And then there are a couple of other myths probably, but there are sort of history shows that they were in contact. I don't know how much that contact was, uh, if it was... Uh, like a deepening contact or just two traders meeting each other. Uh, but there has been contact, but not sort of like now. I see. So we were talking about um, immigrants coming over, your second generation. So they came over for the, the mainly to work in the oil fields. No, so, no, sorry, they were, they, I think because of the oil or the generation of wealth in Norway in the early 70s, most of people came to work in labor class jobs. Oh, uh, not, not necessarily in the oil fields, uh, but to work in sort of transportation, restaurants, service, everything else. I so, see. So not necessarily in the oil. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So they came in, there's a need for people to take up these, um, I guess, manual jobs or other jobs to come in. So were the immigrants mainly from Pakistan or from other countries as well? Yeah, early on, I think most of the people who came in were from Pakistan. But after a while, when Norway was open up until 1975, I think there were a lot of people coming in from Turkey, Pakistan, uh, a few from the Arab world. Uh, but the largest community is definitely from Pakistan. Uh, it has changed now. Uh, in the early 90s, a lot of people came in from Somalia. Okay. So I think the biggest Muslim immigrant community in Norway is Somalis, which is about 40,000. And then I think you have Pakistanis on uh, number two, 38, 35,000, something like that. I see. What's the uh, whole population of Norway? Then, I guess? Uh, for five million. Five million. Okay. All right. Sizable. Yeah. Quite sizable. So you've been in Norway all your life. So what is it like growing up as a Muslim in, this, in Norway? I think my idea of, I, 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 when I think about my childhood, it's, it's a very happy childhood. Norway is probably the coolest country in the world. Okay, that is, that is temperature not because wise, of a <laughs> uh, No, not temperature-wise, everything else. Well, it's, what, it's, I, think it was, uh, I think there was a UN panel or something. It voted, um, I think the Norwegian came out the happiest. So it's the happiest country in the world. Okay. And I think it generally goes for everyone, whether you're a Muslim, minority, majority, whatever. I think it's the happiest country in the world. Because a lot of people, you, you know, you do have those essential needs met, right? You have free healthcare, you have free education, you have free everything. So, and you have had sort of a rise in wealth for everyone. Uh, right. So Norway has done pretty well for itself. And, and that's why sort of the problems you hear from my parents' country, like Pakistan or the US even, right? Yes. Uh, you don't have those problems here. So it's a very happy country. You do have sort of, you have the essential needs. You have a house, you have a car, you have those essential needs. Mm. And, and it's a peaceful country. So, so I think it's a very sort of happy-go-lucky type country. Uh, and and I think, um, so when we grew up, I think that was partly the essence of it all. Or my generation grew up. We were sort of in a country that was doing better and better. And it was a very global country. You have like English television, you have American TV, you have sort of a lot of influx from these countries. So you have, you, you feel global, even though you are in a corner of a world that is very small. So growing up in Norway, I think it was fantastic. Growing up a Muslim, I think it's... I don't think I thought of myself as a Muslim that much. I think I saw myself as an immigrant uh, okay. or, a ch or a child of an immigrant because you were physically different. Right. <laughs> uh, 
And I think there were two stories. Uh, I was actually thinking about it yesterday. I think there were two stories that sort of, um, for the first time, when the first time I thought of myself as something different from everybody else was during the first Iraq war in the early mm. 90s. I remember when George Bush Sr. or actually Saddam Hussein uh, occupied Kuwait. I think that was the first time I sort of saw myself as a Muslim or, or something different to the majority. And that was because my teacher, uh, I don't think his intentions were bad at all. Uh, it wasn't bad at all. I know it wasn't. But he took out the three Muslims in the class, I think all Pakistanis, and sort of asked them if we had met um, sort of prejudice because of the war. And I guess me being brought up on sort of Rocky IV and Ivan Drago, and you know, we, were always, we were always with the Americans, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we thought ourselves as sort of the Western world. Right, that right, was the first time, I think that was the first time somebody sort of told me, you know, you don't, I, I'm not going to say you don't belong to the Western world, but because he, he didn't mean it like that. But I think that was the first time I remember as a child, 10 years old, 10, 11 years old, no, 15, sorry. Uh, when somebody brings me out of a class and asks me, you know, there's a war going on in Iraq. And for us, it was very clear Saddam Hussein was wrong uh, because he occupied a country. Uh, yeah. so we didn't necessarily think of ourselves. That, I, I, I don't think I even knew where Iraq was on the map at, the point, uh, at that moment. Hmm. So I think that was the first time I sort of felt different. But it wasn't a big deal. I, I just look back to it as something that I remember. Uh, so I guess it had a, some sort of a resonance with me for some reason. Uh, but, but other than that, it was all happy-go-lucky. Yeah. So it was generally, so, um, it was, so it was generally uh, the people around you, your classmates, are basically your classmates from year one all the way till you finish, or? Yeah, yeah. For the first seven years, I think the schooling system was that for the first, you have like I don't know, elementary school, which is one to six, and then you have seven to nine. It used to have seven to nine, and after that, it was high school. So okay. usually you have the same mates from till nine, almost the same mates till nine. Uh-huh. And after that, it was high school. And then you change, you can choose the high school you want to go to. So, And do they uh, celebrate the, you know, different religions and uh, religious holidays in the school or how is it usually? I think, uh, to be honest, before, I, I, I sort of, I'm 44. So I think the biggest difference between me and people who are growing up now is that and that is a difference that is that is becoming more and more sort of uh, apparent in Norway. Is that I grew up as an exotic Pakistani guy. We had exotic food. I brought samosas, if you know what that oh, is. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> samosas and biryanis to, to <laughs> class and and yeah. and showed them what we eat. So I was right. always and because I was born, I was sort of the first generation coming into school. So a lot of times I was not a Muslim. I was always the guy who came, whose parents come from Pakistan. He 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 had. He probably smells differently. I don't know. And he's interested in different foods and he knows another language. Yep. Uh, during the summer, he goes to a, a vacation. So I was never looked upon as a Muslim. So I don't think we celebrated Eid uh, or uh, I think the difference came in during Ramadan, but that was later on because you don't uh-huh. fast when you're in first grade usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the days were very long and that's a completely different <laughs> discussion. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a while. I, yeah, I just wanted to ask you, because uh, on, on the food sort of part of it, well, when we, when we think of Norway and food, it's really about salmon. But I have a vending machine down here that sells frozen salmon from Norway. And it's, oh. someone actually commented that, they're, um, that you know, they eat salmon a lot 
they're from Norway. So there are there are the fusion things like salmon biryani or some things like that. I think it's definitely coming. I don't think we have those upscale restaurants yet. I think it's definitely coming in a few years because people are trying more and more. I think my generation is probably sort of investing more in these sort of things. I think the first hurdle was to get enough halal food, right? Getting the kebabs and burgers and chickens right. and stuff yeah. like that. The staples. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think the usual sort of, I think that was the first hurdle. Now we're seeing that more and more sort of upscale restaurants uh, when I say upscale, I mean more like Norwegian typical Norwegian restaurants are getting into sort of the halal halal oh, wow. food because you get more, and, and which is very good. So now you have steakhouses, you have uh, we eat enough food. Uh, no, so we eat enough fish, right? Because right. okay. uh, that's what we grew up on. <laughs> yeah. So our main deal is to get a, a good, decent halal steakhouse. That's when we are happy, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I think we're getting more and more of that. Uh, I think, you know, everybody, all my friends sort of, you know, this is a new restaurant. You know, you do know they, know, they have halal, right? Oh, so go okay. to that one. It's perfect. And you should go there. And so I think we're getting more and more. But we do eat a lot of salmon and I love salmon. So Alhamdulillah. So I want to ask you then, um, so what type of cuisine would you say is available for, you know, if I was to come over there, what could I eat that's halal? Now you get, I think basic, I would say you get most of the stuff you can think of. I, I, my biggest thing is that we don't get a good biryani here so in the restaurants. You have okay. to have that at home. Okay. Uh, but I think the biggest thing here, you do get sort of, you have a lot of Pakistani Indian restaurants. You have a lot of sort of Thai restaurants that are halal. You get a lot of sort of Southeast Asian food, which is oh, wow. jar halal more and more. So you have like, I think the, the food scene in Oslo is getting much better than when I was growing up. Okay. Uh, so it gets so good, in fact, that our children sort of don't miss the halal food scene. We missed that when we were young. Because yeah. when we went to, I, I remember I was in Canada in, in the early 80s and the US, and you had sort of all these different kind of. Uh, foods and i actually studied in malaysia uh, oh. first summer okay uh, during during my university years and yeah. that was yeah that was awesome uh, i wanted to study in a muslim country for just a small uh, just a short while yeah uh, so i was uh, during the summer i was in, first in malaysia and then in singapore uh, and the halal scene obviously that was in 96 right so, mm. and, yeah and the, the and the coolest part about studying there was the food scene because you could eat everything and I remember when I got there, that was the most sort of, that was the fun part. So you, I think you do miss it. That sort of, you can eat everything because yep. you can't do that definitely here. But you do have enough to sort of enjoy a good sort of, if you come here for five days, I yeah. can get you to sort of eat different, five different things. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, that sounds or, good. Of course, you can try the Norwegian cuisine, of course. Yeah. Oh, what is Norwegian cuisine? That's a very good question, actually. <laughs> I think you have something called small ahuva. Oh, uh, okay. I haven't tasted that myself. That's basically a goat's head. What is it? Is it boiled? Is it fried? You know. I'll be honest and say that I have no idea. <laughs> uh, but you do have sort of different. You have different fresh. I might be wrong, and I'm sorry. But you have different fish, sort of. You know, different ways of uh, sort of uh, making a salmon or other types of fish. Right. This is a very fishing nation, so you do have a lot of fish type foods. But you do have sort of delicacies uh, or delicacies which are related to fish, I think, uh, I like fish balls and um, like, you know, the, the, like Swedish meatballs. We have a different so, variety of that with sauces. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's interesting. If I do come to Norway, um, w what restaurant would you take me to? 
I think uh, we had a couple of guests, uh, like uh, Islamic speakers from the right. U.S. coming right. in. Okay. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to taste the Norwegian salmon because that's sort of the most exported part of Norway, right, I guess. Right, yeah. uh, yeah. So they wanted to try something with salmon, e- even if it was just a sort of sandwich in a way. So we, we took them to a restaurant. Um, I think it was called, it has a Greek name for some reason, but they had very good Norwegian food. Um, and we took them to, to that restaurant. He tried sort of different things with salmon and vegetable and potatoes um so you tried sort of different sort of you know norwegian things in a way and that was basically boiled vegetables with salmon <laughs> and it was very good it was very yeah? good uh, yeah it was very, i yeah it's very simple and very elegant and it's, it's very nice but uh, obviously if you come from singapore i know you guys have awesome food because you have so much fusion from different sort of minorities and different people coming in and it's a small country like norway right so but but i think i would if you're looking for the halal scene, I think you're getting better and better. So, so you can, you know, you can have everything from a steakhouse to something Pakistani or Indian to something sort of Thai, South Asian, or yeah. Southeast Asian, to something completely American in a way. Wow, so, that's, that's yeah. very interesting. So I think you can get most of it. The, the best thing that has come up in the last 20 years, I think, is various sushi type restaurants. Wow. Which has really blown up in a huge way. I think... When I was growing up in a university, it was probably me just not trying sushi. I think my wife made me try it for the first time and I loved it after it. But it, it does, it's an acquired taste, right? So it took me some time to sort of yeah. uh, enjoy it. But now you get them everywhere. You get sort of small sushi restaurants, sort of lunch places oh. everywhere. So it's, it's sort of, it's, it's become big in, in a few short years. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay, so let's. What about halal groceries? Like, uh, you know, is it? I mean, before when you were growing up, was a butcher's halal meats was hard to get, or? I think you have. Um, I think my mom and dad say that you know they didn't have access to meat uh, mm. in the early seventies. But after a while, there were a couple of sort of smart guys who saw the market, yeah, and, and sort of sort of got the halal groceries in. So in the early 70s, 80s, you, you had difficulties acquiring it, but now it's not a problem at all. I mean, I can walk like, like 10 minutes from here and then, and I'm talking about walking, so it's two minutes with car. So, and get my halal stuff, whatever I want, even sort of, you know, halal, we call it, so for bread, we call it bread uh, spreads Sorry? in a way for, for you know, what you, you, for, uh, what do you call it for, so for breakfast, you get sort of pieces of meat you can put on your bread and eat it. What do you oh, call like, it? Uh, well, we call it like cold cuts. Yeah, exactly. Something like that, right? All right. Okay. For so, so you can have for breakfast, or you can take to school. So you get halal everything now, basically. Wow. It's not as it's not as good as uh, comparatively to Sweden in a way. In Sweden, you get even better, uh, which oh. is yeah, which is we live an hour and a half from the border, and sometimes you go shopping to Sweden just to get sort of the variety. So Sweden is much better in a way. Wow. Okay. I have no idea why. I have no idea why, but it's better than we have. Oh, that's interesting. It's very interesting. Is the community there like concentrated in a, a particular area of? Are you in Oslo? I'm just outside Oslo. I'm sort of in a suburban area. It doesn't greater Oslo area, but I'm like five minutes from the border to Oslo, so, oh, okay. so just outside. Yeah. So, so are, is the Muslim community kind of spread out, or is it just uh, in in the one place? I think. Norway, first of all, Norway is a very small country, uh, uh, and, and, and that means that um, most of the people coming in came to Oslo. So I would say like 80 to 
85% live in the Oslo or greater Oslo area, which is Oslo and Akershus was, was the name of, of the place around Oslo. Um, so I would say 80 to 85% live in these areas. And then you have Muslim communities in Bergen, you have them in Stavanger, you have them in Kristiansand, which are the other big cities, and Trondheim even. So you have Muslims uh, a lot of places. So you do have small mosques in a lot of places. But the greater Oslo area have the majority of the Muslims. I see. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. So, yeah, you, you brought up a good point there. The, I want to talk about the masjids over there. Yeah. Um, uh, so I was talking to some other people in there, and also my experience is sometimes that these the masjids that we have in these new countries, you know, they're like converted houses or even, yes, a lot my, one of my guests was talking about now they're buying up churches and converting them into masjids. So yeah. what kind of, is that uh, a similar thing that uh, happened in Norway? No, yes, no, not converting churches. That doesn't happen. Um, but what a lot of Muslims were doing in the beginning, they have sort of, uh, my dad tells me that we have small study circles Mm. Uh, reading the Quran and the Tafsir. So what they did was that they sat around and sort of five, six, seven, uh, mostly men, because there were men that came in first and then their wives came in later uh, for, for sort of the labor jobs. And, and they sat down and that was the sort of starting point of the mosques. So what happened was that there were small rooms, usually basements uh, in somebody somebody's house. And then after a while, they sort of developed it into, into big organizations. But it wasn't sort of converted. It was more sort of um, finding places of convenience in the central area, which were sort of, I'm not sure how to, uh, what do you call it? Uh, they bought, they, they sort of rented places around the city, small warehouses, small open spaces, uh, where you can just basically do the Friday prayers. Okay. And, what you, and what you call the Sunday dars, which what? was sort of, a, uh, they call it a dars. I'm not sure if it's an Arabic word or a Pakistani word. I'm not sure. Okay. The word that is basically you go through the Quran with translation. Oh, so tafsir courses. I see. Okay. And you call it the Sunday that's uh, and what they did was so uh, that has been happening since nine early seventies, uh, mm. and then they sort of developed into these uh, pretty big organizations. Now you have three or four sort of proper masjids, like that look with a minaret and everything. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you look at the Minar and you can see it's a mosque. You can clearly see it's a mosque. Mm. And also the difference is that I think a lot of Norwegians, they sort of compare Islam to Christianity in a way sort of, which is natural, I guess. But so the imams got a role like a priest in a way. And, okay. and, and you know, and so, so the organizations are becoming more and more like the church organizations in a way. I'm not saying they're similar, but the organizational Just, sort yes, of development. Yeah. Norway is a very organized country. Okay. Exactly. So the political structure is very democratic. Some of the mosques are very democratic. Wow. Some are not. Some are very sort of... So you have like the whole spectrum of Muslims living in mm. Norway, but, you know, depending on how big the community is. I think the one difference between the English-speaking countries and sort of a very exotic language like, uh, like Norway is that the mosques in Norway are very ethnicity-based. So, so uh, there, you still, you in the early days, you saw that this was a Pakistani mosque. This was a sort of a Malay mosque, if you will. And this was a sort of Arabic-speaking mosque. Not sort of, the divides weren't like, you know, uh, the different sort of called it, the differences within Islam in a way. I see. Okay. Yeah. So if you've lived in New York, you can see that you have the ISNA, ICNA organizations. Yep. Yep. 
right? And you can have everybody coming into. So everybody prays everywhere. Let me be clear on that. But I think you can still see the sort of remnants of of the fact that the immigrants don't speak Norwegian when they come into the country. So you had to have because my dad, when he came to Norway, he didn't know Norwegian, right? So he right. naturally looked for other Pakistanis who he could communicate with. Yeah, yeah. And that's how the organization developed. And now I think the differences are more like: Are you a Sufi-oriented mosque? Are you a sort of uh, mm. okay. not type mosque? Right. So now you can see the differences clearly, but right. still, language is very important in a mosque. Okay. The, the Friday sermon or the khutbah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're still in Urdu uh, or Arabic, <laughs> if you're an Arabic-speaking word. Right. So that's, do they do that's, they give a, like a five-minute English version at the end, or is this just? Straight I think away? Uh, yeah. Most and most, uh, more and more mosques are giving a a, a Norwegian type sort of a, a small brief oh, after a while. Okay. But let me give an example, right? Our imam, he ha- he has a doctorate in something, Islamic philosophy or something, right? So what he did was after he finished his doctorate, he, he worked in the masjid for a year. And after a while, he obviously wanted a career choice, right? He, he needed something else to do because yep. he was very, very highly educated. And, and when he left, we had a huge discussion. Do we sort of get in a, an imam from Pakistan, which was the norm? <laughs> In the early days, right? Right, right, yeah. Uh, so you got an imam from Pakistan. He came in and obviously he didn't understand the Norwegian uh, culture. So yep. what they did was we had to hire two imams uh, because we needed somebody to cater to my parents' generation and yep. somebody to cater to my generation. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So we have a brother from Pakistan coming in. Because the corona, everything was delayed, but he, he came in now. And he obviously caters to the sort of older generations of Muslims living here because it's natural. And then we have another one uh, who is uh, of Somali background, who is a very nice kid, uh, 29 or 28 years old, who is the imam for sort of my generation in a way, or my kids. Oh, that's interesting. interesting. So um, we just go back to the masjids there. So if I was to go there, which kind of masjid would you recommend? I think I've grown up in the Islamic Cultural Center. And the reason I like that mosque is because it's very open. They do have sort of, uh, you know, the neighborhood days. They have, they have been on television with the e-prayers. They've, they've okay. been very open to the Norwegian society. Right. I, I wouldn't say danger, but the, but the worry was that the Norwegian Muslims, because of the language barriers, were a very close group. Okay. Because, uh, you know, everything was happening in Urdu or Somali or something like that. And everything right. was very close. Uh, and I think this, what I loved about this mosque was that apart from the fact that my parents always w- went there was that it's a very open and it does give everybody uh, the opportunity to sort of come in and grow. And it's a, and, and they have a lot of sort of female members. We have a workshop uh, tomorrow, actually, about communication. And I think there are 30 people coming and 22 women and eight men in a way. So I think okay. it shows you how open they are to sort of the organizational development uh, mm. from a female perspective. So I, and they also were the first mosque in Norway to sort of establish a mosque and and and, uh, and after a while they sort of created a building which is very nice. I think the nicest sort of you have to see all the different kind of mosques when you come here. Yeah. yeah. So if you're interested in mosques, you have to see uh, there's a mosque called Ahl Sunnah, which is a very Pakistani uh, mosque, okay. uh, and you can see it in the colors. But it's, what they've done is that they've done is they have the glasswork there is made by a company in Hadalan, who's which is very famous for making sort of glass structures. So, okay. so they have like these lightings and everything in the mosque created from a very sort of Norwegian design, which is very nice. Okay. And then there is an then there is a a mosque called Larabita, 
um, which is very nice. Uh, they're building a new one, which I hope is ready in about, I think, five to six years. I'm not sure. And they're building sort of the classic modern Islamic architecture. They're not thinking about the masjid itself. They're mm-hmm. thinking about the sort of training facilities. They're thinking about, you know, the green rooms within the, the mosque. Okay. So they're thinking complete. They've, they've taken a completely modern approach, okay. which is very nice. So I think there are two, three, four mosques that you have to see. Uh, there's also a mosque here, uh, which is um, inspired by sort of Iranian design uh, okay. with blue marbles and stuff uh, like that. Right. So yeah, that yeah. is also... So it's very nice. Okay. So there are a couple of masks right. you should see, depending mm. on, of course, what you're interested in yourself, of course. Oh, that's very interesting. So um, tell us about us, about how you guys do uh, Ramadan. I mean, there's the long days, and of course, it's going to be short days, but extremely long days. How long do they go for? Well, uh, last summer, uh, or this summer, in fact, this summer was actually very easy because everybody's working from home offices. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Because yeah. of the co- that's right, yeah. corona, right? So it was very easy, but I'll give an example of last year or the prayer times were exactly the same. The days are very uh, long here. Yeah. So the Maghrib is at Maghrib is at 11 o'clock, just before 11. Mm. Just before can, 11. Yeah. So oh, that's wow. the Maghrib. And when I grew up, because they, they, they were the same timing 30 years ago, right? Yeah. So when I was like, uh, right. when I was like 14, 15 and just getting into fasting, these were yeah. the times we grew up with. And the, the fun part is that because of the long days, you sort of change everything. You go home after work, you go to sleep. Of course, with small kids, that's very difficult. Yep. But what we did was we went home, we went to sleep, we came in. And, and I usually, I slept during the day, worked in the evening, just to sort of, but to be very honest, the first two days are hard after that. You just, you know, you just go through the day. It's, it's, you do everything uh, exactly the same. You get into the notion of, the fact that that's the way it is. We eat at 11 o'clock. We do our uh, Fajr prayers at, I think it's now, it's actually at 1.30, but there are a couple of uh, people who've said that, you know, that you can divide the night. It, there are a lot of discussions on it. MashaAllah. Seriously, 1.30. So you have a two-hour two window. Is that? Yeah, you have three, a two-hour window. To eat. But, but, but there are a lot of discussion. This is the biggest discussion like two months before Ramadan. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Can, we, can we follow French timings? Can we follow Jeddah timings or Makkah yep. timings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, and there are people I know who, who follow sort of other timings just to sort of... Uh, but then they open the, the, the fasting at nine o'clock. It's not that difficult, to be honest. It's not that, you know, it's not that different, to be honest. So, yeah. so you have sort of, you know, mathematical sort of people... You know, they're saying that the timings are so extreme that you have to sort of follow the timings. So, <laughs> all right. So because I'm wrapping, trying to wrap my head around that because that is, uh, I don't know what you guys must be eating to help you get through that uh, time period. To be very honest, I don't think it's that different. We, really? You know, yeah, I know because you'll be, I think the human body is astonishing in that way that you do get used to everything. I think I I don't think you should play a sort of hardcore sports <laughs> while right. doing it. Okay. But I've heard about players who sort of uh, fast and, and they say this is the way it is for a month and it's a blessing in a way. So we have everything else right. So this was the only test we got in, in Norway, uh, yeah. fortunately. And so so I I don't think it's. I'll be very honest. You mm. do get used to it. It's a sort of mental thing in a way. 
first two days always hard if you're a coffee drinker it's hard if you're a smoker yeah. it's hard yeah uh, but it's good for you somebody like me who sort of drinks a lot of coke and and sort of enjoy food in general yeah. it's good for me because then i sort of at least i lose a couple of kilos <laughs> so what about what happens in the in the wind like when the uh, ramadan falls in the winter months how, oh that was how short, how short is that it was last then uh, the short is six hours uh, no seven hours uh, let's say seven hours i think uh, is the is the yeah uh, I, th- I think it's about 8 8 15 8 30 it's, it's okay. been 15 years it's been 15 years it was 15 years ago now it was like that so 8 30 8 30 ish till 3 30 when is when maghrib is mashallah so, so remember it's... we live in oslo right which is which is pretty much to the south of norway uh-huh. so if you go to the northern parts right it's basically light uh, for six months, right? Or for three, four months. So they use, they, they have calculations. So they follow other places. So the fasting in the northern part is, uh, northern parts are shorter, to be honest. Oh, because they follow the, uh, what, Jeddah timings or uh, different times? Uh, yeah, different. I think some follow France because that's the closest thing we have to a normal timing. And some follow Mecca, which is not that different, to be honest. I see. There are different rulings on it, fatwas. So, okay, so how do you guys celebrate Eid then? Oh, Eid is, um, I think like everybody else, I think if you, I think you would get different answers from different families because mm. Eid is a very family-oriented thing. Uh, for me, who has a family here, uh, my parents live here, my brother lives here, my wife's family live here, we've, Usually, uh, we have like in the mornings we go to one part of the. Uh, sometimes we have joint parties. Okay. Other times we have sort of separate because you know somebody's in-laws were there at that point and my in-laws were there at that right. point. So, but it's a very family-oriented day. So we usually split the day in two. In the morning we go to one part of the family, and in the evening we go on one part of the family. And sometimes we invite everybody to our our, our house. But I know I have a lot of friends who, who who work in the telecom industry who came from Pakistan, like with within the last 10 years or something. And they usually have, they do exactly the same thing as us, but they do it with friends in the, uh, friends instead of family in a way. I see. So, so, so it's, it's a combination uh, of food and people. Food That's and people. Yeah, it sounds very similar to here. Uh, but, exactly. but the the Eid prayers, sometimes it's too crowded at the masjids. Do they do it out in the field or is it extended or how does it? You know what? We usually the Norwegian weather is not to be trusted, uh, so usually we have to have something indoors. Okay. It's, it's, I have been outside, but it, it's you know it's a chance. You have to be very sure of yourself. So and you always have to have a backup plan in, in because of planning and everything. So the mosques are generally getting bigger and bigger. So we usually you know split the prayers into two or three, depending okay. on how. Even the Friday prayers are split into two and three because there are too many people. Uh, coming to the Friday prayers, especially in the central mosques in the city. I see. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that happens. And, and during the Eid, Eid prayers, um, a couple of years ago, actually, that was a lot of fun. We, we hired a huge fo- indoor football field, football, yeah, the main team football field. Okay. And what we did was uh, we had our prayers in that field. And I think it was 8,000 people. Uh, sure. went there and that mm. was amazing it was amazing because yeah. it was 8,000 people and uh, among those 8,000 people I, even the prime minister came in and said hello <laughs> which is very nice right it's yeah. a very nice gesture <laughs> yeah. uh, 
and this, then we had to sort of uh, invite other politicians. They were looking for the samosas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we had actually food stalls afterwards. So that was a lot of fun. It was very good. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. It's, it's really good um, to hear. Hey there, Brother Mark Adam here. I hope you're enjoying the episode. This podcast is still very new and we're looking to grow and reach out to more brothers and sisters from around the world. It would mean so much to us if you could share this podcast with just one person in your life. If not, could you leave a positive review on whatever podcast site you're listening to this on? It would really help. Jazakallah And now, back to the episode. I, I kind of want to ask because I've never been to Norway, but if I was to go there, what are the kind of the typical things to go there? You, do you guys get the northern lights where you are? No, uh, we're too, too south. You have to go to Tromsø or to the northern part of Norway to get the I northern see. lights. Oh, so you, it is possible? To, it is possible, yeah. I see. Okay. So what, are, what other places um, are there to see that you could recommend kind of things that yeah on the touristy thing on the tourist track and also not so touristy areas i think oslo as a city is very underrated i think Oslo is a lovely city you have to sort of know the, knows the nooks and crannies i think it's a very beautiful city but if you talk to a norwegian it's the worst city in norway <laughs> okay. and generally because it's i think what i like i love about oslo is that it's becoming more and more cosmopolitan you have a lot of cultures coming in. You have a lot of sort of, you can go for Turkish food. Uh, you can go for sort of uh, Jamaican food, or you can go for stuff that is uh, simply amazing in the sense that Norway just, or also just 30 years ago, was not that cosmopolitan. It was a typical Norwegian city. And now it's completely changed, which I absolutely adore. And it's become more and more international. And But if you want to have the Norwegian experience, I would say go to Bergen, which is a West Coast city. It's extremely beautiful. It's sort of surrounded by mountains. Uh, and okay. the West Coast in general is absolutely adorable. You have like, you know, uh, Norway is famous for fjords, right? Right. So if you want to get the fjord experience, you have to come to, to go to the West Coast. Take the train to Bergen. Uh-huh. And then sort of, um, if you have a car, if you have access to a car, just drive around the areas of, uh, actually during the summer vacation, because you couldn't travel abroad, right. uh, abroad we, we went to a place called Flom. Flum. And we took Flum. 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 Okay. Yeah. Flum. So look it up. It's a very nice place. It has one of the nicest train rides. So you take train ride okay. up to a thousand meters uh-huh. uh, and then you can go take a bike ride down and then there are waterfalls everywhere. And there wow. sort of, you can just, I think it's 20 kilometers from the, the Medal station to, to the Flum area. And me and my wife, we took a bike and we just sort of took the bike all the, all the way down to the uh-huh. sort of fjord. And it was absolutely probably one of the coolest things I've done vacation-wise. Yeah. Um, because it was absolutely beautiful. It took us a few hours because it was a long time. We had been we had <laughs> bike for a long time. Uh, it could take uh, as little as an hour and a half, but we okay. took more. Okay. But it was absolutely wonderful, and it was a good experience. So, so if you want to come to Norway, go see the west coast, go see the fjords. It's up. Have you seen Frozen? Yeah, yeah. The cartoon. Yep. Yeah. 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 The, the sort of the design of Frozen is inspired by those areas in Norway. Oh, okay. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Or something uh, like like you know the landscape of Lord of the Rings. It's very similar to New Zealand. Okay. Yeah. So that's it's very nice. Mm. Inshallah, inshallah, uh, one day. Uh, one day, you're more than welcome. <laughs> so, what what do you think makes Islam so uh, you unique in your country? I think, I think partly, I think the changes now is that the narrative of what Muslims are changed completely with nine eleven. It was the others. It was uh, something that sort of uh, they were seen as Muslims were seen as. I'm not going to see the enemy of the state because they're not. But I think they were seen as something that couldn't be integrated into society. What makes Norway unique, I guess, is the, or Islam in Norway unique, I guess, is that I think both sides, um, both the Muslims and the Norwegian sort of ethnic Norwegians, I think they understand that there's more to it than sort of what you read in the media. Uh, and I think there's a genuine interest in sort of uh, be a good society. They want good sort of citizens on every side. I think what changed in Norway, I wanted it to change. It hasn't changed as much. But do you remember the Utaya incident, the terrorist attack in Norway, the little island where, where a terrorist shot almost 100 kids? Right, yeah. And last year, there was a inspired terrorist who, who went into a mosque and shot um, as many people as he could. But he... he Fortunately, he didn't. He, he managed to kill. Well, I'm not going to say only because one is one is a lot in in the sense of terrorism. But he killed one person, and when he got to the mosque, he was sort of, or he he got caught in a way. Mm. Uh, but that was one year ago, last week, I think. So I think, I think the discussion about Islam in, in Norway is very fruitful. It tended to be very harsh that Muslims are here to sort of, you know, everything from take over the country to sort of, you know, they can never be integrated because they're that difficult. So I think the uniqueness of Norway is that there's a genuine wish to have a dialogue with those elements on both sides. So I think that's what makes sort of life interesting, I guess, uh, working with uh, the dialogue part of it. There have been politicians who read secret letters from Muslims saying that, (laughs) claiming that they're going to take over the country that had happened in the late 80s. But the same guys have also been in the mosque to sort of have an open dialogue. Um, so I, I, I think the uniqueness is for Muslims as a whole is to show the, the good sides of Islam uh, in the best way. And I think, I'm not saying we're succeeding. I'm saying we're trying. And I think we should try more. The unique part of Norway is that it's, I think the people here are so nice. It's not like uh, you know, uh, you can do whatever you want, but you will never find a Donald Trump in Norway. Oh, okay. Uh, you will find extreme people, but you won't find sort of people like Donald Trump or sort of those people who want to go to war at once. There will always be a sense of justice, the sense of sort of underlining understanding of what the other side wants. We were against the Iraq war. Let me give an example. There was a central to right-wing government in Norway mm-hmm. in the Second World War in, in, after 9-11. And even though the government, I think, supported the war, the will of the people sort of succeeded, unlike in England, where, where it didn't. Right. But the anti-war movement was so hard, so big in Norway that the government actually in the end had to listen and did listen to the anti-war movement. And they were proved right in the end. During, If you remember 2003, when the U.S. and their allies went into Iraq, you know, Denmark went with them. Sweden is always neutral. And Norway said no, which is a very tough decision to do if you're a member of NATO. Yeah. especially the way the U.S. was working at that moment. 
And I think um, from a sort of international policy point of view, I think Norway lost a great deal with, with regards to the U.S., which they had to work on, but they said no in the end, which is a great thing. Uh, so I think that shows, in a sense, how willing people are to listen to the other side. When it comes to Islam in Norway and its uniqueness, I guess we are a very small um, group of people. I'm not including myself, but there are uh, Muslims in general, a very small uh, group of people. And they're, I think they're generally trying to become good Norwegians, a uh, majority of them, and want to have, have be part of the good life, which makes it uh, sort of essential to be good human beings first and then sort of everything else is not that important in a way. Wow, thank you. Thank you so much for that that insight. Uh, that's really beautiful. I think that um, you brought up a couple of really great things that there is, you know, an, uh, this dialogue that, you know, the politicians are out there to to have that. I know some some places do struggle. I think Norway is quite uh, is 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 one of those countries where we think it's it is quite progressive. And I just want to ask you. I, I forgot to ask you. Is it a very religious country, or how? I think Europe in general is post-religious. I think we uh, religion is something that was you know that was happening centuries ago. I, I'm not saying it's not religious. They they, they still have a sort of a religious. Uh, no, I'm going to say that compared to the U.S. and Asia, right. Europe is probably the least, uh, I would define it as the least religious place in the world. Um, sure. Religion doesn't have sort of an essential being in a way. I think more and more people are turning against religion. But even the sort of, let me give an example. We have this uh, group of, there is a, it's something called the Dialogue Pilots, okay. which there are four masjids. There's a central church and, and the atheist community. Um, I'm not sure what the organization called, but they represent the atheists or the non-religious. They've come together and created a subject um, at the university which only deals with dialogue. So between Muslims, Christians, Jews, and atheists. And they're very, a huge part of sort of that dialogue sort of type that Norwegian, that is very special to Norway in a way. And I think what you see is that Atheism or the organization, the human atheism organizations, they're just like the church in a way. <laughs> uh, I think they're just as dogmatic. In many ways, they're just as dogmatic. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah. put it to them. Uh, you know, they, they believe in a couple of tenets, uh, which is, you know, if yeah. you take away God thing, and everything yeah. they say, they yeah. have like, a, yeah. what do you call it? When, when, oh, I don't know what it's called in, in, in English, but when you get 15 or 16, you get sort of a new... Uh, the age of 15 or 16 or is it... yeah i think you in a christian uh, you, you get confirmation i think it's called confirmation um, is it communion no it's not. yeah something like that right oh, so you, okay. you sort of you know you go okay. and now you have the atheists have exactly the same thing no uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're adopting uh, a lot of the same sort of uh, the cultural things from christianity uh, which which I find very funny. Uh, that is very strange. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the need for believing in something more than themselves, not only for atheists, sorry, uh, for atheists, but everybody, uh, I guess, is important. So you take the cultural value of everything else to sort of, well, you take it with you. But Nor Norway in general, I wouldn't say it's a religious country at all. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, how Islam and how is it accepted in the society? I think in general, the Norwegian society has been very accepted towards Islam as both as a religion and as a community. I don't think I don't think the 
but I know that the discussion about Islam in Denmark, which is very close by, mm-hmm. is very harsh towards Muslims. It's very harsh. Uh, and there isn't a culture of dialogue at all. In Norway, the discussion, you do have access to everyone, even as a Muslim. Right. Uh, so I think... The, you know, I'm talking about the general elements. That doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist in Norway. Of course it does. Yep. Uh, but um, in general, the society is very sort of, I wouldn't say accepting in a way, but it does sort of, it doesn't mind the fact that you have mosques in Norway. There are, there are politicians who say, you know, first comes the mosque and then they're going to yeah. take over everything. <laughs> right, right. Yes, they exist. But mm. I wouldn't say that's the mainstream Norwegian public. I see. Uh, okay, so brother, I just wanted to ask you about sisters wearing hijab in a few countries that I've, uh, people I've talked to. Um, you know, sisters aren't allowed to wear hijab at, at their jobs uh, or at school. So, uh, you know, is it the case in Norway, the same thing? or There's definitely a discussion about it. The right-wing sort of parties have been discussing this for the last 20 years. But as of now, I think everything is allowed. You know, they're allowed to wear hijab wherever they want. I think except judges or the police i'm not sure about that discussion um but i think it's it's being discussed coming into law or there they have passed a law i'm not sure where it is but you know at the top end of the sort of the judiciary judiciary i think it's called yep so the i'm not sure if they're allowed there but i'll have to find that out but but there's a discussion about where hijab should be allowed and not uh, after the, I think after the Corona crisis, everybody is covered in their in their faces. <laughs> <laughs> so perhaps the hijab discussion will go away, and everybody has to wear a niqab. Yeah. <laughs> but, so we'll see what happens. It's interesting. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what about? Um, I, I wanted to ask you about converts to Islam. Are many Norwegians converting. Do you see uh, any brothers and sisters uh, converting? Uh, we definitely meet a lot of people who convert to Islam. Um, I don't think it's a huge number, um, but there is a lot of people sort of coming into understanding. I think the, I think what people get fascinated by in Norway is that people have this, in general, negative image of Islam. You know, Islam is this, Islam is that, Islam is something like that. And when they get to know Muslims, they, they get good food and, uh, you know, they go, the ikhlas part. Right, right. So, so what they do is they tend to get to know some Muslims and then they say, oh, you're not like the ones I thought, you know, you're right. nothing like the, the Muslims we hear about. Yeah. And then they get to know another one and he's not like that and she's not like that. So I think more and yeah. more people get surprised. Uh, about yeah. how sort of uh, like-minded they are. You know, the discussion we had before the podcast is that most people are like that. We can d- go on and on and discuss football for right. hours and hours. Exactly. And, and whether you're a Muslim or a Christian or a Jewish guy, doesn't matter. Right. Uh, if you're interested in football, that takes precedence. Yeah. And I think that's what people are noticing more and more. And I guess the more Muslims sort of integrate into society, uh, the more people understand that, hey, man, these guys, these guys are exactly like us. Yeah. That's a really good point. A couple of years ago, we, we had a, I think it's 10 years ago now, we had something called Coffee with Muslim. Okay. Uh, so what they did was that we invited our neighbors sort of come into a Muslim house and then sort right. of get to know get to know a Muslim family. And the thinking behind it was exactly the way you think that we're not that different from you guys. Uh, and, and the point is that the more Muslims you get to know you, actually the point I was making earlier is that 
it's very important to interact. Um, if you see, if you don't see somebody, and you can see that in Norway too, the people who are most scared of calling Muslims or Jews or whatever right. are the people who have never talked to a Muslim or a Jewish yep. guy or black guy or, yep. you know, the whitest states in the U.S. are the ones who are most worried about the black people taking over in the uh, in the U.S. And and it's exactly the same conversation, exactly the same mechanics. And even if you look at Muslims, let's not forget the other part, right? Uh, the people who are sort of most uh, skeptical towards Jewish people in our community are mm. the ones who've never talked to a Jewish person in their lives. Right. Uh, and they put this Israeli politics into it and never yep. look at the individual. Yep. And I, and we've been talking a lot about that. You know, look, so one thing is being against the Israeli policy, the U.S. policy or the Pakistani policy or whatever it is, or the Saudi Arabian policy. Mm-hmm. That's something completely different to sort of meeting the individual and not hating them. You can still meet somebody on an individual level and love the guy and be completely against their policies right. as long as you're not sort of acting upon sort of terrorism or anything like that. Right. And that's an important difference. Uh, more and more people, I hope, are understanding. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that's a great thing. Okay. All right. Look, thank you so much. This has been an amazing uh, session. I've, I've really learned a lot. Thank you so much for, for um, sharing with me all these things about Norway. It sounds like a beautiful place. It sounds like lots of places to for halal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's a great place to visit. And also, I want to ask you, which country would you like to know more about Islam in that country? Oh, that's a very good question. I'm fascinated. I, I love football, right? So I absolutely right. adore football. That's uh, almost just as big a religion for me as Islam <laughs> is, right? So I would love to to know something about Brazil. Brazil? Uh, okay. Yeah, because okay. I have no idea what Muslims... I know there's a huge Muslim community in Suriname, which uh, is uh, northern northern tip of Latin America. Okay, yeah. Uh, so I know I know there's, you know, a couple of Muslims organiz- uh, or Muslims in Latin America. I know that, but... In Brazil, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know yeah. much about it. So Brazil, I would love to know something about. Okay, inshallah, that's uh, it's it's the aim. Inshallah, to get yep. around uh, the whole 190 uh, countries. <laughs> ask ask a lot about uh, football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, brother, uh, thank you so much. Um, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. And I hope that the, all the listeners uh, have learned something about uh, being a Muslim in uh, Norway. Uh, so, uh, inshallah, we'll keep in touch and uh, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Alhamdulillah. I really love talking with Brother Arslan. We share the same passion in sports and Alhamdulillah, we still keep in touch. One of the great things about doing this podcast is really meeting new people from around the world. And one of the things I found most interesting in this episode was the length of the fasting days during summer. And what did you find interesting? Let us know on the Facebook or Instagram page. You can go to facebook.com forward slash Big Muslim Family or to our Instagram account at Big Muslim Family. On the next episode, we'll be speaking with Brother Hayata, a Riva brother from New Zealand, who tells us about his journey back to Islam and the spread of Islam in the Maori community. And I just want to say a big thank you for all you brothers and sisters for joining us for this episode. And inshallah, I will see you in the next episode. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.